Good evening. So this is the third and final week of a series we're doing on breath meditation. Some of you have been here for all three, and some of you, maybe this is your first time. So I just want to say a little bit. We've done this, did this last week too, just a brief recap, and then we'll move on. Um, The first week we were focusing on one aspect of meditation and breath meditation in particular, which is this word samadhi. And for those of you new, um, mostly we use the word samadhi to mean concentration. It's more than just concentration, and we'll get into some of that tonight, but it's... uh, Think of it as that ability of the mind just to stay steady on an object. That would be concentration. At least the concentration aspect of samadhi. And so if you're new to practice, or for those of you maybe even not so new to practice, and the mind's wandering all over the place when you sit to meditate, the samadhi factor is not strong. And so the mind's just all over the place. So that's the part, the aspect we focused on in the first week is, is how breath meditation can strengthen the concentration. Then last week, we focused on another aspect of the meditation, the word sati, which means mindfulness, and how we can use the breath to focus the mindfulness. So mindfulness is different than the samadhi, the samadhi being the concentration, the sati being the mindfulness being just the knowing. Right? It's possible to not have much concentration, but you can still know something in a moment, right? Just put your awareness into your hands right now. Right? You can just know the feeling. Unless they happen to be numb, right? You could know. Or into your feet or your butt, right? You can put your awareness things and you just can know the experience. You can know any experience. You can know the experience of seeing or know that you're hearing. So that's a mindfulness, just the knowing what's happening. So we focused on how breath meditation can um, strengthen that aspect. You can't 100% separate out developing the samadhi or developing the concentration. It is possible to get in very strong samadhi states where you do lose the mindfulness. um, But in general, any time we're directing the attention, there is the knowing aspect and there is developing the concentration. It's just by coming back over and over to an object, it's strengthening the ability of the mind to stay connected So we can't completely separate that out. It was a little artificial the last two weeks, but we're just focusing on those aspects. So tonight, the third week, now we're going to particularly talk about how they integrate together, which is really how they're working all the time. Um, But we can be conscious about that. We can be conscious about it together at the same time, strengthening the samadhi, not that we want to set it up as some goal that, we, that we're clinging to get to. We always work with just where we're at, right? But we can, there is a path, 
and we can be on this path that is strengthening samadhi to whatever level you know our, it can it can strengthen to. Some of us are naturally better concentrators than others, so it's fine for each of us though that we can strengthen it, and we can also be aware at the same time of strengthening the knowing part. And when those two come together. Um, That, I'm suggesting that that's really the heart of the Vipassana practice. It's those two together. Um, so what I want to do is say, is talk tonight, and we'll have some time for questions too. Actually, I have a question at any time. Please raise your hand. It's fine. But I'm going to break tonight into two parts. I want to say a few things about samadhi and sati, concentration and mindfulness. And in the second half, I want to focus specifically on incorporating it in our practice, things we can watch out for, ways we can uh, work with the practice, keeping in mind that we're focusing on breath meditation and that breath meditation is not the only uh, form of meditation practice. There are a lot of others, but we're just not getting into that tonight. So mindfulness without concentration tends to be kind of scattered. It doesn't have a staying powder power. And to know this, if any of you have ever tried to, if, um, um, I know a number of people who really um, put a lot into bringing mindfulness into daily life. I think, and this is not true for everyone, but it's certainly not uncommon, that for people who don't tend to do, to do practices to develop the concentration and are just focusing on the mindfulness of daily life, there can, not necessarily, but there can be a tendency to be just lost a lot, to be on what I call automatic pilot a lot. Because we lose it, we forget. So, you know, if you're driving in your car and you're using some anchor point to help you with the mindfulness, maybe you're feeling the hands on the steering wheel or your you know, body against the seat, or some place to anchor the awareness to keep, to keep the mindfulness. You know, it's, you may have found that you do that for a few breaths or a few moments, and then you're gone. And then maybe sometime later in the day you remember, oh yeah, I want to try and bring mindfulness in. If that is happening for you, is that the concentration as, uh, factor is not so strong. So that can be a real support. Conversely, strong samadhi without mindful awareness can be very deluding. And what I mean by that, um, you can get into some meditative states. We're going to talk about that a little tonight, as I said, and, and where you can, it can be very pleasant, it can be very calming, and yet we lose the awareness. We're just sort of lost in it. And an example of the, to try and get a sense of that, if you haven't experienced it in daily life, if you've ever been absorbed in something, maybe you're reading a newspaper or a book or listening to something, and someone comes to you and says, hey, Richard, excuse me, Richard, and then it takes them two or three times, and it's like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, what? You didn't hear them. Because you were absorbed into, into whatever the object was that you were focusing on. So the awareness wasn't there. So that can happen. We can even work with the breath or any objects. We can get very absorbed into uh, and go into certain meditative states 
and we just, we're just in the state, but we lose the knowing quality. So I think the key is to find a balance here. And it's not that we have to be perfectly balanced, and we will not always be perfectly balanced. There will be times when the knowing might be good and strong, but we might not have much concentration. That's fine. That's just the way it is in the moment. And there'll be other times where we do go off in these meditative states, and we maybe lose the mindfulness, and that's all right, too. And it's going to happen. And there's actually a, a useful place for that. But in general, we want to we just want to be aware and sort of know the maps and know the territory so that we can um, not get stuck in one or the other. You know, and from time to time we move back and forth, but there's also that time where they come together. So let me just read a few quotes from Ajahn Chah about Samadhi, and then we'll... Uh, well, let me just start off with this. So this is Ajahn Chah. He says, There can be right samadhi and wrong samadhi. Wrong samadhi is where the mind enters calm and there's no awareness at all. You can sit for two hours or even all day, but the mind doesn't know where it's been or what's happened. There is calm, but that's all. It's like a sharp knife that we don't bother to put to any use. This is a deluded type of calm because because there is not much awareness The meditator may think they have reached the ultimate already, so they don't bother to look for anything else. Samadhi can be an enemy at this level. Wisdom cannot arise because there is no awareness of right or wrong. With right samadhi, no matter what level of calm is reached, there is awareness. There is full mindfulness and clear comprehension. This is the samadhi that gives rise to wisdom. One cannot get lost in it. Meditators should understand this. You can't do without this awareness. It must be present from beginning to end. This kind of samadhi has no danger. I want to focus tonight on how can we practice in a way that we don't have to hold back the samadhi, let it strengthen as much as it wants to, but practice in a way that brings the awareness in so it's there all the time. For a long time in my own practice, I used to come out of a, uh, when I first started practicing in the early 70s, um, I was uh, in a Hindu-oriented uh, yoga practices, and um, it was all about. It, it was basically the practices were similar to to the Buddhist meditation practices that were pure concentration practices. There was no talk about wisdom or knowing or mindfulness. It was just getting into these absorbed kind of meditation states, the kind that he's talking about here that is dangerous. But in the, in that tradition. The more one-pointedness of mind, the more concentration, the more bliss, the better. That's what you were just going for, was creating these very specific meditative states. And then when I moved over in the late 70s into the uh, Buddhist world, because I had trained the mind a lot, it had a tendency to go off into these states. And so I, for a long time, tended to hold back the samadhi when it would start to really kick in, thinking, oh, no, that's not right, I've got to kind of keep it back so it doesn't get too strong so I can keep the mindfulness part going. And finally, working with a teacher that was very helpful to me said, no, no, you don't have to do that at all. You can let the concentration, let the samadhi go as strong as it wants. You just bring the mindfulness up to meet it wherever it is. And there's specific techniques that we can use to do that. Okay? So we just need to, to understand this and then know well, how, how can we practice with it. Here's Ajahn Chah again. 
Insight meditation is sitting in samadhi itself. At some places they say, now we are going to sit in samadhi. After that we'll do insight meditation. Don't separate them like this. Tranquility is the base that gives rise to wisdom. Wisdom is the fruit of tranquility. Now that's kind of interesting how he says it there. He's saying something different here. He's saying he's not worrying about right or wrong samadhi. Or he's just saying go for that tranquility, that, those, that samadhi state, and then the wisdom just arises out of it. It's kind of, he's, he's sort of saying it a little differently here. Saying that now you're going to do calm meditation, later you'll do, we'll do insight, you can't do that. You can only separate them in speech. Just as with a knife, there's the cutting edge and the back of the blade. You can't divide them. If you pick up one, you get the other. Tranquility gives rise to wisdom like this. So there's also that aspect that just by quieting the mind down and gaining some focus and some concentration, we naturally see more and there's a natural uh, wisdom that can arise too. And then one more quote from Ajahn Chah. And this is about breath meditation. The practice of concentrating our attention on the in and out breath is an example of a type of meditation that is suitable for us all. As soon as we sit and observe our breath, we have a good feeling. That may not be true for all of us. You may not have had a good feeling. We can see it clearly. There's no need to go looking far away. We can use what is close to us. Just watch the breath. It goes out and comes in, out and in. We watch it like this. For a long time, we keep watching our breathing in and out, and slowly our mind settles. Other activity will arise, but we feel like it is distant from us. Here we are talking about the way of samatha practice. Samatha means calm, which we talked about in the first week. The practice of developing calm. There is enough in this practice to take us all the way, and it is considered a, a full practice in itself, just breath meditation. And then the final piece he says here, when we practice our, our samatha, when we practice our samatha arrives at calm, the mind will be clear and bright. There will be less mental activity, fewer impressions will arise. When this happens, great peace and happiness may arise, but we may attach to that happiness, so we should contemplate the happiness as uncertain. We should also contemplate unhappiness as uncertain. uncertain. That's what he was talking about, about the danger. In these meditative states, when the samadhi gets strong, it feels great. And most of us probably, if, if we experience that, will have times when we get attached to it. And we think, ah, oh, this is it. This is really great. Right? What happens when we come out of it, and the mind comes back to normal level of consciousness, we lose that level of, of calm. Right? And so it, it do, we are less reactive. We are, if you want to say, more free in those states. But it's a conditional kind of freedom because it depends upon the state. And so we don't want to create these meditative states for their own sake because they're just impermanent. They come and go. But it's, it's a tool. 
that's what we keep saying all the time. Developing the concentration aspect is just a tool of the mind. And the side effect, effect is it can be blissful, it can be calm, and it's very pleasant. One last thing and then we'll talk about practicing. Sometimes it's said that a moment of mindfulness is a moment of freedom. A moment when we're awake, not on automatic pilot, not a sleepwalking how we go through most of our days, but actually that clear awake presence It certainly is a moment, there can still be suffering and difficulty if we're mindfully present, but it's certainly a time when if we're really mindful, we're not caught in in, um, habitual reactive patterns. We're just present mindfully with what's going on moment by moment. In addition, it's conditioning the mind, because it's a a moment of mindfulness, so it's conditioning the mind for further it's conditioning the mind towards greater non-clinging in the future because it's just strengthening that habit of mind. So even without concentration, any moment of mindfulness has a, is very powerful. But as we all know, there's those dormant seeds of reactivity of our habitual patterns of mind that are waiting to sprout when the right conditions come together. So if we want to uproot those seeds that are waiting to sprout, that's the part where some deeper digging is needed, and that's where the concentration is a powerful aid to the mindfulness, because it really gives the mind much more focus, much more penetrative power. And so then when we use the mindfulness, we're able to see much subtler things and much deeper things. That's the power when those two come together. So in the first week, I was talking about different places we can put our attention with breath. And we talked about the nose, just like I did when I gave the intro instructions tonight. The nose, at the, um, at the belly, rising and falling. So any of these places, the chest, the whole breath, any of these places are good uh, resting places or what I call finding our home base our primary meditation object. It's all good. For the purpose of strengthening the samadhi aspect, I was encouraging people to um, at least consider working at the nose because many people, not everyone, but many people find that the concentration tends to get sharper there. And, and traditionally, I, that was really a main place in Theravada Buddhism that was used a lot. And, um, and the whole body breath also. Um, you know, Mahasi Sayadaw, a great Burmese master, was 
he, in some ways he was considered a real in innovator and one of the innovations was, was bringing people from the nose down into the belly. And the reason for that was he didn't want people to get that really, really sharp concentration because there's a tendency then to go into these, you know, strengthen the samadhi side and it gets ahead of the mindfulness. And so by finding a steady object with the belly that's a little softer, it is developing the concentration, there's no doubt about it, as many of you probably know who've, who've gone deeply into that style of practice. But the mindfulness aspect of just keeping the knowing quality um, would strengthen a lot. And then it was much later on where then they would introduce their students into more of this, what they call jhana practice, these meditative absorption states. There are many other teachers, and Ajahn Chah is one of them, who do have people work at, at the no. So there's no right or wrong. You talk to all these great, accomplished meditation masters, and they're not, they'll all tell you different things. So there's no right or wrong. In my own practice, I've worked with the breath a lot for a lot of years, and particularly at the nose, and I found it to be very, very powerful. And so I kind of have a, um, a bias for that in my own practice, and I've found that you're able to bring the mindfulness up. If you, if you work skillfully, um, it's, it's, it, it work, it's not a problem. So when I'm talking tonight, I'm specifically talking about at the nose, but if you're really into meditating somewhere else with the breath, then when every time I talk about the nose, just substitute in belly or whole breath or whatever. Because you have to find what works best for you. So we start off and we're connecting to the physical sensations. So at the nose, it's actually the coolness of the air entering and leaving at the nostrils, which can be at the right at the near the right at the tip of the nose, or for some people it's further back in, it's more in the sinus area, deeper in. So you find the place where you feel the breath the easiest. So in the beginning, it's just the physical sensations and it's just repetition. We come back, we come back over and over. And we know it's not necessarily easy, although there are a rare few people who tend to fall right into it from the beginning. But for most people, it's a lot of work and it takes time. And we should know that, but also know like anything, it does bear its fruit. And the analogy I often use, I think I said in the first night, it's like going into the gym and learning to lift weights. Or another good example, uh, my wife does these spin classes at the, at the gym. I don't know if some of you probably know, but you know, you get on these special kind of bikes and there's an instructor up there and the music's just really going and they're, come on, let's go, go. And it's really hard, you know. And so she finally got me just a few weeks ago to go to a spin class. And you know, I was in pretty decent shape. I go to a gym and work out, but it was really hard. I mean, it was hard. <laughs> I thought my legs were going to fall off, you know. <laughs> and the guy up there, you know, had these massive legs that were pure muscle, and they're, anyway. Um, well, so now I've gone back a few times, because I can see it really is a great workout. And I've noticed already it's gotten a little easier. And my wife's been doing this for, I don't know, years, and so she's in there, you know, I can't keep up with her. Well, I'm new at it. First day was really hard. Already, it's only been not that many weeks. But I can feel a difference. It's, it doesn't hurt as bad. Well, actually, it hurts as bad, but 
I'm doing more. Okay? And I can see that if I were to continue, which you know, I hope I will, you'll get to a place where you're stronger and stronger. Right? It's the same thing. When we come here in the beginning, our minds aren't trained. Right? So we shouldn't expect anything other than a wandering mind, sleepiness, restlessness. Right? That's what happens. Um, for lots of people, they've been meditators for years, and that's what they get too. Right? It takes an amount of regular regularity to really start to get the fruit. So each of us, you know, are going to find that for ourselves. How much we we want to do that. At some point, as this concentration, as the samadhi develops, a shift starts to happen, and there's two things that, that, that you'll notice. And I'm just trying to lay out a few, and there's so many ways that it can unfold. It's not just one way, but I'm just trying to map out a few different ways so you can be watching for these things when they happen and sort of been exp- know what the map of the territory is. One is, is that when that concentration kicks in, that, that experience that I call starting to drop into the meditation state, what is that feeling like? Right? Something happens. Some of you know it very well, right? There's an experience of being deeper into the, medita- into the meditative state. That's the samadhi. So you'll notice, and it can show up in a lot of different ways, there can be just a feeling of, it can feel very, you really know the calm, you, the, the quietness, you've dropped in, you're in a place of stillness, so you'll really, it's, a, it's palpable, you feel the stillness. Um, it can be... Um, it can be quite um, pleasant. There can be some blissful feelings in the body. It doesn't have to be just, you know, bliss. We always think it has to be, you know, just this, like the second coming or something. But it, it, you know, but it can just feel very pleasant. Energy moving in the body, you can feel. Um, you know, a quiet mind, it really, in a sense, is its own reward because it just is naturally pleasant. You'll notice the, the mind not wandering off so much. And not, necess- not that it won't ever wander at all, but it, um, it tends to really stay. And uh, so you'll really notice, wow, the mind's really, rather than fighting and it's going off, it's really there. And an analogy I heard once that I thought was kind of interesting, it's like if you have a, a U shape, like an arch, and you're trying to balance a, like a marble or a ball right on the top, and you'll put it on there and it might balance for a moment, but it's really easy just to roll off one side or the other keeps rolling off. That's, that's how the mind is when it's not, we don't have the concentration. Right? The mind can stay, but it has a real tendency to want to go. At some point, it's like the arch inverts into a U. And now that you, you balance something, and yeah, it might kind of roll off, but it really has a tendency, the tendency is flipped around. The tendency is to want to stay. And it can roll off. So rather than the tendency to be gone, try to come back. Now it's just the opposite. The tendency is to really be there. Yeah, and sometimes it will go off. You won't tend to be lost as often or as deeply. These are the signs of the... Sometimes, say, for example, you're working at the nose, and um, I assume this happens at other places, but I don't know from my own experience. There can be a sense of, the, of just kind of locked on, the attention really connected it's a connecting and a sustaining of the awareness right on there, and it can become uh, very effortless, and it can be very a strong feeling of that. So if, if you feel like, wow, it's con- that feeling of being connected, that's samadhi. 
So start to notice when these are all the, what I call the non-physical, I'm not sure how you experience them if they're in the body or not, some of these things, right? So the physical sensations are what I'm calling the coolness, the movement of the air, the movement of the belly. That's the body. All these other things are the experience of the samadhi itself. Um, They're really close, very intertwined and all connected and tangled up together. Um, But I'm trying to just separate them out so you can have a sense of the two. It starts off just, you know, it's kind of can be subtle, but to start to notice when these things happen. When they notice, you can, you, uh, you know, the, the attention can go right on those factors. And there's this list of factors called the jhanic factors. Jhana just means absorptions. And so I mentioned a few already, and so to start to watch out for them when they arise. One is uh, this connecting, and I won't go into the poly names, it's not so important, but it's this connecting and sustaining of the mind, just, and you, you'll know it, it's just, you know, I'm giving a visual here, the hand just connecting, that awareness connecting with the breath and just staying really close, right on it, right in it. That's the connecting and sustaining. The blissful, rapturous feelings can be there, there can be a, a happiness, and that one pointedness, which is a real focus of the mind just on the one point. All of these factors start to come in and be stronger. Now we talked also on the first week about a few techniques that you can use. These techniques are crutches, but it's okay to use some crutches sometimes, you know, if they're helpful. Uh, One was, uh, in the beginning, it's okay. One is counting breaths can sometimes, that counting can help you just stay connected, counting each breath, you know. In, each in and out is one, one, you know, two, all the way up to ten, and then start again. And then when you get really good at it, you can go like from a hundred backwards or a thousand backwards, not miss a one, just be there, and then you've got some good samadhi going. Okay. Um, another thing is using a string of beads. I noticed you have yours here. I hope you don't mind. I'm kind of pointing you out here. Right, and I happened to notice that she's got her string of beads called the mala, and I was noticing over there with each in and out breath, she was running them through what your thumb and and finger, she was just doing a bead with each breath. How was that for you? It helps. It helps, right? Yeah, getting back into a practice. Yeah, so that's really powerful. I used to use a mala a lot, and uh, I'd given one to my daughter to you know. People find that it can be helpful, so you can experiment with these things in the beginning to really help you. At some point. Uh, the mala will probably want to fall away. You won't want to be counting breaths so much at some point. Um, that mental noting technique also, that's what it's about. It's just an aid to help, help you come back, if, it, if it's helpful. Okay. The main thing is just to stay with the breath. Now, all those things I just said are on the um, concentration side, noticing those jhanic factors that connecting and sustaining in the blissful feelings and the feeling of calm itself. On the mindfulness side, say, say I'm noticing at the nose, there's the, the sensations. As, 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 I'm able to, as the mindfulness strengthens, I'm able to notice more and more subtlety about the sensations. I might notice it's, it's not just one thing, the breath, but there's a lot of little, there's tingling and there's moving and or at the belly, you know, you might really notice a lot of, wow, it's not just one thing, but 
different pressures, different movements, the intensity of the pressure of the moving of the belly. You start to notice more subtleties. That's another way, not only is it strengthening the mindfulness aspect, but by, no, by really focusing the mind in like that, the samadhi part is also strengthening. So that's another piece that we can... I know there's a lot here, but these are all different things just to be aware of when you notice them. You don't have to start to notice subtler and subtler aspects of the breath. Sometimes that's the way it is, and sometimes we're just more backed off and we just notice general sensations of the breathing. It's both good, but they're just two different ways to to be aware of. Now, what, what, I want to say one more thing and then pause and see if we have any questions. As the concentration starts to strengthen, as I said, there's a big shift that will happen. And now it's not just being with the breath and struggling to be with the breath. We've got all these other aspects of our experience there, all these other things I laid out, the samadhi side. What are the experiences? How do we know that we're deep in meditation? What's the actual experience? All of those qualities. We've got more going on now, so more places for the awareness to know. The awareness can stay with the sensations, the physical part, or it can now shift over and be focused more on the samadhi aspects itself. So now things start to, to branch a little bit. If we made a choice to then let go of the physical and just go into these, the samadhi aspects, eventually we would, we would the, the, that whole changing physical, that whole flow of experience, would, we would lose it. And we would go into these deep meditation, this deep, tranquility and calm states. And that's all there would be. We would get into those samadhi experiences and the mind would get more and more focused there. And it's as if the concentration is so one-pointed and fixed on those factors that, that no other experience can get a wedge, can get in there into our awareness. So we can get that, that's a thing that can happen. We just need to know this. If we made a choice to say, I'm not going to really focus on those factors, the samadhi factors, even though they're strengthening, I'm going to keep my awareness really going into the sensations of the breath, right with that samadhi. We have a different kind of experience, and it can show up in a number of ways. And one of the ways it shows up, you'll sometimes hear a term, penetrating the experience. I'm focusing on breath meditation, but this can come out on any experience. If you, put your, if you had knee pain and you put your awareness on that, the same thing can happen on that experience. But since we're talking about breath meditation, I'm, it's all about breath here. If you stayed with that sensation of the breath, another way, not, once again, it doesn't have to happen this way. It's just another piece of the territory to have mapped out that can happen. The awareness has an experience, and don't worry, if you, you'll know it when you have it. There won't be any doubt. It's a sense of literally penetrating deeply into the experience can happen. You can actually have an experience of the, that consciousness. Well, let me say it a different way. 
you experience the, the sensations within the sensations. Sometimes we often experience things that like me or I, whatever that is, is here in the head, the knower, that then knows all these other experiences from the place. There's a sense of knowing from the head that can be there. I don't know. Is that how it is for everybody? For many people? Some people at least. That can shift. It doesn't have to shift. This isn't better, but another thing to point out is it can shift where the experience is arising within the experience. The knowing is arising within the experience that can happen. There's a sense of penetrating the experience that's happened. Okay? So that's another thing that can happen. So, So we have some choices then as things start start to open up. And we're gonna get you get to all of these things we're talking about just by sitting down, bringing the attention to the breathing in a simple way, just you know, and just come back over and over. Then all these other things start to happen as the as the practice deepens. Right? We don't have to make anything happen, but when they do happen we want to know, oh that's this, that's that. We don't have to say it as words, but we want to know it. Oh yeah, I've heard this before. If we, if we go to the direction of penetrating the sensations, I'm going to actually I'll come back later to what, how that can open up. But that's a whole other pathway, that, a whole other way we can go. So what I want to offer is, is that sometimes we can choose then, if this is what's going on, we can say, you know, I said that the practice can start to, to branch. We can make a choice to say, I'm going to stay with the sensations and go more that penetration route. Or, I'm making a choice. I'm going to go more towards these jhanic factors, these samadhi factors. The blissfulness, the pleasantness, the calm itself, the locked on feeling itself, that connecting and sustaining, all these experiences that you'll have of a concentrated mind and go into the, the concentration itself. We could make the choice. And there's good t- reasons to do that from time to time if we want to strengthen one or the other. Other times, what you'll find is, on its own, naturally one of these styles or the other tends to be more the way it just wants to go. Wow, it's really going more into the, the sensations and I'm not really locking on to the samadhi or the opposite. And so, I want to suggest that then you can let the practice show up in whichever of these ways it wants and then follow that follow the strength of the way it's going follow the energy in the way it's going um, if you find that you're always going to one of these or the other then you could start to make some choices the other way what I find in my own practice is is that it, it, it I get about half one way and half the other just that's just the way it is and then there's a third time when these aren't so separated out with, right in there in the sensations are all these samadhi f- factors too. And then you just stay right there with that and let that strengthen. So those are different flavors. So I have some more to talk about, but I just want to pause. I know that was a lot. A lot of stuff going. You know, we don't have that much time here. We're covering, but you just wanted to kind of put out the map a little. Was that how? What, any questions, or is that confusing? And I want to, you know, try to keep it simple. You don't want to sit down and get confused, like, okay, wait a minute, I got to remember, um, you know, there's all these things. It's not like that. But it'd be nice if things do start to open, that you go, oh, 
wait a minute, I think I heard about this at one of these Dharma talks once. Yeah, that's that. Yeah. We were talking about dropping into a meditative state. Um, I, I'm questioning whether it's because I'm early back into a practice, about at the time about six weeks. Uh, my mindfulness is more aware of what's dropping away than being aware of any calm, still, or blissful state. I am mindful, like, oh, you know, monkey mind craving. Oh, right. you know, my, my body's more comfortable. Yeah. So you have a settling in kind of experience. Uh, that's as far as I'm going, and, and I'm assuming that. But, but, but isn't. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm going more toward the mindfulness than my samadhi needs to strengthen. I don't know. I mean, it, it, what you're saying to me isn't. Let me just say it back and see if this is accurate. Okay. That you're describing a, 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 whatever word you a settling in kind of a, a quieting down a little bit, right. a calm. So that is samadhi. I'm just seeing the opposite. I'm seeing what's leaving and not what's coming in, maybe. Then. Yeah. My so, mindfulness is focusing on the things that are... So in a moment, can we explore just a bit here if you want? So in a moment, you're, you're, you're sitting, you're doing whatever you're with the breath, whatever your practice is, and then you're in that place you're talking about. Right. There's some experience in the moment maybe it's settling or settling. What's leaving is not actually an... I mean, you you can have an experience of an absence of something. I'm just trying to understand where your mind's going. Is it more you're thinking and going, oh, wow, I'm not... My mind's not running around as much. Is it kind of a cognitive thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so then you're back in thinking. Okay. Right? Yeah. In other words, if you're... I'm not... If if, if you're... This has happened to me many times. You know, you get into this really calm place and then then the mind starts going, this is really great. I'm in it now. Oh yeah, big meditator here. <laughs> well, where am I? I'm just lost. I'm not everything I'm saying I am. I'm actually not. I'm gone. I, I'm, I'm exaggerating it a little bit. Yeah. And that's going to happen, of course, and we won't even... We won't even recognize it many times. It's just another time when we wake up, we just keep going. Right? You know, there's a there's a cartoon that I saw. One of these, I think it's Bo Lazoff's book. We're all doing time, which is about um, uh, mindfulness practice or, or spiritual practice in for people in prisons. And it has a little cartoon, and it sh- shows the prison meditation group is meeting the little group, and they're all sitting there. And the thought bubbles are coming up, and you know, and one of them's thinking, you know, oh man, when's it going to end? My knees, and the other one is all these different thoughts. And one one of the thought bubbles says, "Wow, my mind is completely blank. Yeah, there's not a thought in my head." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Perhaps I had sort of a question about energy. I notice that sometimes when I sit, things will get very quiet, and then they get just a little too quiet, and I feel as though, I mean, it's not like going to sleep, but there's not much awareness there. Right. It just gets very quiet. Right. And then the other direction is, at somewhere around that point, when the, when the attention is more, when my, when my attention is more focused on that actual upper lip, which is where I go, sensation, it gets brighter and clearer and more energetic. And noticing when the dullness comes, it's hard to kind of say, well, yeah. more energy, more energy, more right. energy. There is some energizing 
Well, yeah. Well, that's that's real important, and and it's actually important to say that um, if you sit and if 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 the, if the concentration's there, if you sit long enough, at some point the energy will it drops off. And matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why on if you go on to meditation retreats, there's a number of reasons why we'll alternate between sitting and walking practice. Um, there's not just one reason, but one of the reasons is when we get up and walk, it rebalances the energy, and we need to do that. And so, you know, you'll sit and sit, and even if the mind's bright and crisp and clear, or maybe deep in, and then, you know, it drops off, and we're, we're getting more dull, we're getting into kind of a stupor or whatever the state can be, and then we'll go into the walking practice, and then we come back, and the energies come back. So we need to know that that happens and can happen. And it happens in diff- differently for each of us, and different, not it's going to be the same over time either. Um, I'm not sure what to say if you come into that state if, you, if it's a place where you're not ready to get up from your practice, that's what you're talking about, you want to keep sitting, yeah, then, um, you know, you could do one of two things. You could just let the energy drop off so the concentration will tend to not be as strong and maybe more thoughts will start coming in and your mind will be more agitated. I don't know if it gets like that. Um, and, or maybe you're finding kind of going to more of a stupor place. Or I'm not sure. I used the word stupor. You didn't. Yeah, but... but um, if you have enough awareness and just want to work with it more, just bring in the mindfulness right there and want to hang in there with it, then the mind, that, that's just what's going on. And, and then you can bring the mindfulness right into that if you have enough awareness to do that. If you really don't want to get up, I mean, you know, then you're, then you're starting to get into the sloth and torpor is what you're really talking about. And then you want to do the, the, the standard kind of things. Maybe you would stand and do some standing meditation or open your eyes or take some breaths or just do the, whatever the different things are to bring in more energy. Um, I usually tend to get up at that point myself. I'm not sure if that's really, you know, some of these, you know, especially some of these Burmese teachers, you know, they'll just say, well, you're going to sit two hours or three hours, and then you just do it and you take what you get. And then you take what you get. Um, and that's one approach. And another approach, because we don't want to get addicted or or clinging to that it has to only be when it's this kind of bright energy. Right? Mm-hmm. We're working to free the mind ultimately, uh, which is not what we're, we're talking about. That as- We're not talking about that aspect so much here. We're just talking about the practice. So ultimately, it's just moment to moment. Whatever is arising in, in, in awareness, that's what is, and we just bring the mindfulness to that. That's a deeper level of kind of non-clinging with what's happening. If we're trying to develop the concentration aspect, you know, then you may want to bring the mindfulness into some activity that's uh, that can keep the energy up, like walking practice or something. I don't know. I'm, I don't know if that's such a great answer. I, maybe other people might have some thoughts about it. That's the best I know to say. Chris, you're just nodding your head. Okay. I was looking to you, but <laughs> yes. Is tying the breath is that a good Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to say this is where you'll get to about it, but I, let me just say this, that there's no question that, you know, as we do these practices, that it's like anything, as we work on developing the concentration, it will, it's going to strengthen. 
how much it strengthens depends on a number of factors. Part of it is how much we devote to it and also um, our own um, natural abilities to concentrate. And there's a wide range of natural abilities to concentrate, a huge range. So we want to make sure we don't set up some standard that we start judging by, that we start creating more suffering about, like this is how much I'm supposed to get to. And if I'm not there, it's all screwing up or it's not good or it's not okay. We want to be careful. I'm not saying that you're suggesting that, but I just want to mention that. Having said that, you know, if you're drawn to, you, to work with counting breaths, um, yeah, I think that you could, it would not be unreasonable to spec, expect that if you really put some time into it, you could get to where you could count a long ways and still stay with it if you wanted to do that. Would, is there any other way to quantize what's going on? Yeah, I would say, um, and, and, and maybe that I'm not underst- understanding you, but as far as quantizing it, that's not necessary. And uh, it may not be useful either. Um, I think what you really want to, what I would suggest is that what we want to do is we just, we, we come to the practice and, you know, we, you know, the ability to concentrate has been developed as much as it has. Our mindfulness is strengthened as much as it has and all these other factors that come together. And then we sit down to practice and then we do the best we can and we get what we get. And I think if we just come with that attitude and measuring it not by what the experience is and judging it by that, but more just in terms of we're doing our part. My part is to show up and practice and to work with you know you get what you get that's my end of the bargain then how much it develops and what way it develops what it looks like that's not up to me and we just let that go if we can do that and I'm not saying it's easy to do that because we all fall into you know we want right you're all here come to a meditation evening like everybody I think I'm assuming would want to be able to have what we call pleasant meditations we want to sit down we want the mind to quiet like nobody wants the body to hurt, and you know one of the things that um, some of you have heard me say this before, but you know it's kind of like when you ask, well, what is a, a good meditation, right? And people all laugh because nobody's laughing now, but you know everybody knows. If we judge it by it's really how pleasant it is, and then we go, well, what's a bad meditation? Well, we know what that is, right? And um, I've had times, you know, tonight the bell rang, right? You might have been sitting there. I bet this is true for some of the people here. Maybe you're having like a rough time. When's that bell going to (laughs) ring? And then you haven't even moved. But you just hear. And the mind just goes, ah. (laughs) Nothing's changed. You just heard the bell, right? Because you... I've had lots of meditation sittings where it was so pleasant and I just thought, I don't want the bell to ring. Not yet. I want just a few more minutes. I just want to keep going. I don't, haven't had many sits. I actually have had some, but not many where I thought, you know, the body's really aching, can't concentrate. It just hurts. It's unpleasant in every way. Oh, I don't want the, I want to keep sitting a little longer. 
<laughs> we don't do that. It's all judged by how pleasant it is or unpleasant. So we want to be on the watch for that. And to know our job is we show up, we put in our end of the bargain, we do our practice the best we can given our life circumstances, how much time we have, how much interest we have. And then we just let it, we, we've done our piece. And hopefully we can have a, a mind and heart that's, that's happy. Yeah. I'm not like I'm a child. When I sit in, in a relatively new exercise, it's not common. I just bust the stuff. Yeah. It's hard work. And yeah. It's actually gotten a little better lately. Um, but I diagnose that as needing more um, concentration. And when you talk about that, and I came a little before last, yeah. I wasn't able to come up to. Uh, my question is where he's talking about counting, and I've done that, mm-hmm. and I found that helpful. Today, as I sat down, you were talking about in and out, so I did right. that. And, and then I have malas from, I used to go to Tibetan right. Buddhist temples all the time. Uh, and the one thing I wear is, is it okay to jump around, or should you just say, okay, I'm just going to count, or I'm just going to do in and out, should you just stick with that, or I'm just going to do the mala? And the, last, the other question quickly is, do you count when you do the mala, or do you just do the, the beat? I, the way... Yeah, the, okay. I, I haven't done much with once I've done some counting just just as an experiment. Like, I wonder if I can like go to some number and count backwards down, and it's like, you know, and all it is is like, oh yeah, well okay, I can do that. But so I haven't done much counting, but I know that that is a technique that's used a lot. I have in my earlier days used malas a lot, and um, I found it very useful. And what I would do with a mala, and this is just the own way, is I would be using my mala, and with each turn of the bead, I would be turning the bead. Most of the awareness is with the breath. The mala is kind of there, but it's kind of in the background it's going. And I'm also kind of like a mantra saying, in, out, in, out, with each one. I need a lot of crutches. I need a mala. I need that in, out going on. And then it was really helpful. And then once it got strengthened, I just, those dropped away. So it wouldn't be bad to try a bunch of different things uh, out and then see what helps. And you're going to find out for yourself you know, how those things develop, okay? Um, I do want to mention one other thing since we're up against the clock. Um, one other thing to keep in mind is, is that, th- and this part I think is real, real important. It was very helpful for me. This mental noting, we usually talk about it uh, for people where, we, where, where um, you know, say, well, it can help keep the mind directed on the object. And especially in the beginning, right, if you're saying in and out, you know, it's helping direct the mind. But there's another very important aspect to this because once the samadhi strengthens, you don't need the noting to help keep you there. And then the noting takes on a completely different function. And that is perception. And what I mean is it's, it, bring, it keeps the knowing quality present. So when you're really getting the samadhi strong, and this, can be real, this is a piece that can really be helpful even if you're going off losing the physical, changing sensations and going more towards the pure samadhi, samatha side where you're you know, just getting into those jhanic factors. If you keep this, the, the noting going, but the, this is what Joseph Goldstein told me, it, was, it just changed everything for me. You start noting, but it actually keeps the knowing of what's happening there. So if, I'm, if there's pressure... I'm losing the, the cool sensation, but just the pressure of that connecting and sustaining, 
I can feel it like a pressure. I could just note pressure, pressure. I don't need it to keep me focused there, but it keeps the knowing quality. So if you find, just, just put that in your toolkit. So if you get to that point, you can use it. You know, if, if rapture's coming or blissfulness, you know, you can actually add a noting right there. Keep the mindfulness up to meet whatever's happening. Or if you're penetrating down into the breath, that side of things and everything, you can just, you know, I don't know what the note would be, but just some note to knowing. Keep the noting going. Uh, that will help keep the, the mindfulness and the samadhi together. So I just want to say, you know, we're up against the clock and I realize we've just been able to just touch on that. There's so much I wanted to talk about in these three weeks and we just got to scratch the surface. Um, so the two things I want to say and then we're going to end is, number one is, I just hope that um, people will, if you're drawn to practice, you know, will just, you know, put, find ways. Uh, you know, it's one of those things, you know, that just do it. You've got to do it. And then it, it grows. It really does. Uh, the second thing I want to say is one of the things I'm considering, I've mentioned this briefly to Gil, and I'm not sure what's going to happen, and it's not for sure something's going to happen, but I've been very interested in, because it's, it's not so easy for many of us to keep up a practice in daily life. For some of us, we do. And for many people, it's just not easy. You know, we've got our busy lives and it's hard and we're tired and at the end of the day, we don't want to meditate. You know, what would it look like to support people to keep a good, strong daily life practice going to really start really experiencing that deepening? Part of it is the sandwich retreat that um, Andrea Fell is going to do. That's a perfect example of being able to have support through, through the week. That would be something great to consider, and I just want to put in a little sales pitch for that. I'm also considering and, uh, doing something around deepening around breath meditation, deepening in the samadhi, deepening without having to go off into retreats, but really is there a way to do it in our daily lives? Uh, I'm not sure what it might look like, but something may happen. It would get announced here if it would happen, but if anybody wants, and you don't need to do this, you could come put your name in either a phone or an email on this paper, and I would let you know if, if something does happen. That would, that would focus on some of the aspects that's been talked about for these last three weeks. And, and finding ways to support ourselves together, maybe over a period of a month or something like that. So when we're done, if anybody wants, you could put your name here. And you don't have to, but it's there. Um, all right, we, we have to end. Let's just take a few moments. Um, and I invite you to um, just shift now from listening or thinking or contemplating or whatever was happening this, during this talk back into feeling and being. So connecting into the body, connecting in just to the whole, your whole experience and see what, what, you know, what's going on. If there's thoughts or feelings or emotions or body. 
and that sense of just allowing that to be there and to show up in any way it wants. Can we allow that expression of our being without having to change it or fix it or do anything with it? Meeting, meeting that moment with that mindful, awake presence. And then from that place, uh, to send some loving kindness, this word we use, metta, the Pali word metta that means loving kindness, out towards ourselves, towards everyone here in the room, out into the community. Perhaps it's a sense of radiating out that loving kindness, that care, those good wishes. Or maybe making a wish or a prayer or an intention. Um, May I and everyone here and all beings everywhere be happy, be safe, may all beings be peaceful, may all beings be free. And finally, to end with this uh, prayer from words of the Buddha, from the Metta Sutta. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. So good evening.